Has it occurred to you that the systems we live by are not designed to get results? We pay for procedures instead of outcomes, focusing on emergencies rather than preventing disease and living a healthy lifestyle. For over 25 years, I've taken care of Olympians, Paralympians, A-list actors, and Fortune 1000 companies. If I do not get results, they do not get results. I realized that while powerful people who control the system want to keep the status quo, if I were to educate the masses, you would demand change. So I'm taking the gloves off and going after the systems as they are. Join me on my mission to create a new tomorrow as I chat with industry experts, elite athletes, thought leaders, and government officials about how we activate our vision for a better world. We may agree and we may disagree, but I'm not backing down. I'm Ari Gronich, and this is Create a New Tomorrow Podcast. Welcome to another episode of Create a New Tomorrow. I'm your host, Ari Gronich, and I have with me again, Elizabeth Kipp. I had to talk to her longer and deeper because we just did a quick interview last time and I was so intrigued with the things she was saying that I wanted you to hear them all. So Elizabeth, welcome back. Um, I, I'll give you a little bit of an of a introduction. You've been in the healing arts for most of your life on both sides right? You are, you're certified in many forms of healing. You have a BS in science. You know, you bridge the gaps between the medical side, the woo-woo side, and the alternative health side, and you do so in a way that is with such grace. So welcome. Thank you so much for coming back. And, you know, just give the, the audience a little bit of what you do. So, you know, just the technical, here's what I do and here's why I do it. Great. Thank you so much, Ari. And I, I appreciate the opportunity. I'm a health facilitator and I call myself that because I'm not doing the healing. I'm really just kind of a guide because everyone is their own healer. You know, your greatest healer lives inside of you. That would be the one message that everybody could go away with. If I had a TED talk, that would be the mantra I'd want to walk them out with, right? So certainly for your podcast, you're your greatest healer. I'm the facilitator. So I call myself that. I am a, a, an addiction recover, a yoga informed addiction recovery co coach, uh, specializing in chronic pain. I'm really focused all on all the things that I do are focused on the chronic pain audience. Um, there's a lot of us and uh, most of us don't know even what that is. Uh, they don't, we don't realize we have chronic pain, but we do. <clears throat> it's hard to clear when we don't really know we're even ill. Um, I teach yoga, which but from a trauma-informed perspective to help people in chronic pain. And, uh, and I also do this thing called ancestral clearing, uh, which is sort of another modality, uh, which is very useful to uh, help us clear patterns from the past, negative, unhealthy patterns from the past, be it our past in this lifetime or the lifetime of our ancestors. So that is a, it's a fascinating thing. You've done an ancestral clearing on me in the past. It was almost a year ago, actually. And, uh, you know, it's funny because when we take genetic tests nowadays, we can see the expression of our genes, how they're being expressed into the world, the epigenetics. And when I did your, the, when, when you facilitated the clearing with me, I then went back and did my genetic test again. And it, the expressions had shifted and changed. So, this is where I like to bridge the gaps between the woo-woo, because somebody will hear ancestral clearing. How can we clean, clear what's going on? Well, it's in your DNA. You know, it's in your genes. What was going on 100, 200, 300 years ago in your family tree is in your genes. And so we express those genes out. And, um, and so taking 
the ancestral clearing to a whole new level of, you know, from, from what people would consider to be woo-woo to the science of it is there's a lot of science that says our genes can be reprogrammed if we can clear out the traumas and pain. So why don't we talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I'd love to. One of my favorite things to talk about. Um, so you're talking about epigenetics and, and, and the way I really uh, break the genetic part of it down is there's the, the hard wiring. We can use that analogy, skin color, hair color, eye color, unless you've got a hair colorist <laughs> and, and, uh, or, or you've got uh, you know, a contact lens you know, thing going on. Um, and then there's the soft wiring, which is things like, uh, well, this might be controversial to some people, but, but still, they haven't found a gene for alcoholism, for instance, or addiction. They found a predisposition. That's epigenetic. Uh, how we relate to the environment. So we come in kind of like with this hard wiring and these switches on the outside, which is software, epi meaning outside on the gene. It's, there's switches, they're on, on off switches. And depending on what happens in the environment, depends on whether the switch is on or off. Sickle cell anemia is another good example. Um, it's, it's helpful in Africa, not so helpful in the United States. Right? So it's just, it's this environmental, <laughs> this environmental thing. And, and I, would, I would challenge the audience. Now I've been in this for a while, so, so, so bear with me, but I would challenge the audience to say, to ask them, how do you think we get resilience built into the system? Trial and error over hundreds and hundreds of generations. Resilience is built into the system, all right? So that's a good thing. It's built in genetically. Everybody can kind of see that, right? And what happens with trauma that goes unresolved with hurt and anger and resentment and uh, uh, aloneness and grief that gets baked in too. So when we're born, we come in with the joys and the challenges of our ancestors on a very real level. You know, uh, it, it kind of sounds woo woo, but if you really think about it, what did they go through? I, 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 I know you can, I, I know people will resonate with that. I'll give you an example how it turned out for me. <clears throat> just a really quick one. Absolutely. My parents were both uh, in World War II. My mom was a nurse uh, in, the, in, in uh, England, and my dad was in the, uh, in the Pacific, and they both experienced trauma, and they had no idea what to do with any of it, because remember, the culture was deny and no pain, no gain, right? That was Stoicism. Yeah, yeah. And, and so uh, they carried the trauma because they didn't know what to do with the body keeps score, right? Bessel van der Kolk's work, the body keeps score. It's totally real. So they come back from the war, they get married, have two kids, my brother and I. I remember being four years old and consciously asking myself, what? is happening here. I knew there was this dark shadowy, and we, today we would call it the, the, the elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about. Yeah, I could feel it. It was a heavy, this heaviness. My brother and I could feel it. I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know what to do about it, but I felt it, right? I didn't know about any of that until I actually had an experience of ancestor clearing and, and I and was able to release it. And I was like, and I felt lighter and I was like, oh my goodness, this is amazing, right? So I'm really, I'm still amazed. I've, I've been in this work for uh, six and a half years. I do it every day somewhere on the planet with somebody, you know, virtually, in person, whatever. And it still floors me. It's so beautiful how, how people can just drop their stuff. So yeah, that's just a quick example. Yeah, you know, I, I love marrying the woo-woo with the science. And I'll give you a quick example of how I did that uh, at the beginning of my career. I was 18 when I started going to school for becoming a therapist. 
And three months into my schooling, I had, I was running the clinic and I thought, oh, we need to have more people in our clinic. We need more, more patients to, to see so that the students can get more experience. And our school backed up to three companies, major companies, Intel, Nike, and Tektronix. This was in Beaverton, Oregon. And I said to myself, self, I think we should just take our clinic to them. So they don't have to go anywhere. Let's just take the clinic to them. And I started three, unwittingly, unknowingly, un, you know, whatever, I, I started three of the first corporate wellness programs in the country. Awesome. And those programs are still alive. I don't know at, to what degree at this point they're still alive, but they're still alive. They, those companies still have them. But um, the thing was interesting is because they're engineering companies, two of them, Somebody at Tektronix asked me because I was, I kept, they kept walking by me with these motherboards that had been recently triple tested and they'd walk by me with them. And all of a sudden on the last quality control test, they would not be working. And the only thing that they could see different was that they walked by me. And so they ended up having to plug me into their ground uh, both at my ankle and my wrist. So while I was working, I was plugged in. And somebody asked me, one of the engineers, he was in his mid-50s, I would imagine. And he asked me, what is this Reiki thing that you're doing? And I thought about it for a minute because I knew that he wouldn't understand if I described it to him the way my teacher described it to me. And so I thought about it for a second and I said, well... We know that the palms produce infrared heat, right? This is the, the majority of the wavelength that we can measure is an infrared wavelength. And we produce more of it in our hands and our palms than anywhere else on our body. I said, we can measure this, right? This is, this is a measurable thing. And the engineer said, yes, we can, we can measure the wavelength. I said, okay. So we also know that infrared wavelengths penetrate the body two to three inches. Yes, we know that. Okay, got that. Okay, so if I put my hand near your body in a very specific place, an organ for instance, and I hold it up, I'm still emitting that infrared wavelength, correct? Yes, we're okay. So we got agreement. We're getting agreement. Okay, we're getting agreement. Good. So now imagine that that heat is producing an inflammatory response, which is then causing your nervous system to go, hmm, something's going on here. What's going on? I better send some signals to some brain chemistry to start sending things to check that out. Immune response all of a sudden the immune response goes, hey, there is some heat here. We got to cool this down. Let's do our thing to heal whatever's going on. So I'm bringing attention to a body part that has an issue, whether you knew about the issue or not. And now that heat is causing an inflammatory and a chemical response and yada, yada, yada. And this is how I began the process of bridging the gaps between science and science medicine and woo-woo alternative that great breakdown. That's a great breakdown. I thought yeah. it was pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, and the belief started to to get there. And so if you're if you're in the audience and you're going, well, this is all just woo-woo. Well, it's not. Nothing operates inside of a vacuum except for scientific lab studies. <laughs> because they isolate components, as you were saying before, they isolate things, right? And so there's an entire world of healing. So tell us a little bit about, for, for you, how you got into, you're, you're a science person and you were having issues and then all of a sudden you go to somebody and he says, there may be a better way. And you were like, oh. So tell us a little bit about that. I was at what you might call a sacred bottom. I, I had surrendered. 
I was like, I, I knew that if I was going to continue uh, taking the opiates and the benzodiazepines that they had prescribed me, that I was going to die. So, and I, and I, and, and, and my life with them was, um, you know, I, I had, was having panic attacks. I was sick all the time. I couldn't eat. There were, it was just, uh, the life quality of life was, 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 was unacceptable. So, uh, Dr. Peter Prescott had this pain management program and he knew, he knew chronic pain. First of all, he was trained in it. So he really knew, he, he knew kind of going in what was going on with me more than I did. Actually, I was, it was surprising. And, uh, Anyway, he helped me detox off the medication. And I'll tell you kind of a little bit of what happened in there. I walked into the room, uh, I, I was wheeled into the room because I was so sick. I, I detoxed off that bed. On, I was detoxing for 10 days off that medication. And I was very weak from that. So I was in a wheelchair and they wheeled me into the room. There's 20 other patients just like me. I didn't even know there were 20 other people that had you know, that were just complicated, been in this much pain and all this stuff. I didn't even know that. So that was cool just to see that, you know, but I didn't know who they were. And I'm sitting there minding my own business, <clears throat> trying to just keep it cool and <laughs> just keep myself together in the room. And Dr. Peter says, <clears throat> don't judge the moment. And I'm going to tell you what happened in my head. I didn't say it out loud, but this is what the conversation in my head, dude, I'm just sitting here minding my own business. I'm not judging anything. And, uh, and it was kind of like, how dare you? So you can see my hackles were up right away in defense, right? And, and, but I knew, he, I knew he had the floor and I knew he was the doctor in the room that I had to listen and, and I was there to listen to him. So, you know, but I, I had that attitude, you know. Within three minutes, I realized he was talking about my pain. Don't judge your pain, right? Don't judge the moment. And I'm like, oh my God, I've been judging my pain as bad my whole life. No wonder I'm in chronic pain, right? And then he says, <clears throat> um, he, and to ask a chronic pain patient this question takes a lot of guts, man. <laughs> and there were 20 of us in the room. <laughs> just, I'm just saying. He says, what are you doing to cause your pain? Ooh. To, what are you doing to contribute to your pain? What are you doing to contribute to your pain is how he put it. And that's what I said. Ooh, and they were like fighting words for me. <laughs> I was like, because my, my perspective at that point was it's happening to me. I'm the victim, right? And he was like, you know, this is not all about that there's our behaviors are driving our biology you know no doctor had ever said that to me and and i i because he'd already proven himself to me with don't judge the moment i listened to the next one <laughs> i didn't like it but i listened to it <laughs> and i started to because i already realized i'd been judging my pain so i knew i was contributing to my pain at least by judging it right so I, I learned a lot about, <clears throat> about from him about uh, what I was doing to contribute to my own pain. And I wrote write about that in the book because it's so important. The other thing that happened was, was uh, John Newton walked in. He was working in, in pain management at that point. He walks in the room and he hands out this piece of paper and it's in English and it's just one piece of paper. And I knew about power words in Sanskrit. I was aware of that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know so much about English power words other than no and <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff. I didn't know. Anyway, so it's in English. He says to everybody, what's your pain level zero to 10, you know, in intensity. And everybody in the room's like eight to 20 is was the number they gave, right? And mine's sitting at an eight. My gut pain was terrible at that point. And he said, I want you to read this silently. And so we started reading it silently. I get halfway down the page and I felt the room shift. Energetically, I felt something change in the room. And I'm like, what just happened? And I thought, and I thought in my head, I thought, Elizabeth, you're detoxing. You just imagined that, you know? 
and right i didn't trust my own experience and then i felt my pain start to shift and it went from like an eight to a two and i'm like well i know that's real you know mm -hmm. and by then we were finished reading the prayer it was a prayer in english very specific and, and I'd never seen anything like this before. So I had my science hat on and I'm observing and noticing and feeling and all of it at the same time. And he says, John says, what's everybody's pain level zero to 10 and everybody's eight and below. Wow. And I was like, oh my goodness. And this is the conversation. And I didn't say a word, but this is the conversation in my head. What just happened here? I know something happened. <laughs> I want to know what it is. Is it measurable? Can he, can he duplicate it? And does he teach it? <laughs> I went off, zip really fast. And the answer to all those things was yes. And so when I got out of treatment, I went and had the train, first training I could get to. And I became an ancestral claim practitioner right out as fast as I could because it was so powerful. It was amazing, you know? Yeah, so words are powerful. Prayer is powerful. It's very specific, and 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 I could get into it, you know, on another time. But but I do teach this stuff now, and it's amazing. Absolutely, you know, one of the things that as a uh, a therapist that I studied a lot of is somatic responses to trauma, and how the emotional trauma is stored in the body. And I do a lot of work with emotional release through somatic trauma, so somatic therapy. So, you know, I know that you do as well some of, some of that kind of thing and, and have that philosophy. So tell me a little bit about your experience with people who have massive emotional traumas and how quickly they can clear using somatic methods of therapy versus talk therapy. And it's not to, to make talk therapy wrong, it's just not as quite as optimal in my, in my experience or view, having done it for hundreds of hours as the somatic therapies. Well, I, that's a great question. And I, I will just say here that as part of the ancestral clearing process is a presencing to sensation. It's hugely important. So it's, it's this sweet blend. There's word medicine, we call, I call it word medicine. And, and then there's, there's um, uh, presencing that the clients presencing themselves to the body. They have to be able to do that. If you can't be present, you don't, you get, help but you don't get as much of an effect and there are some people uh, who i've had some clients who are are so affected by trauma they can't actually be in the present moment so they're there they don't shift they get some help but they don't shift a lot how fast somebody can 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 shift in in uh from ex a lot of trauma just like that and some of it comes off in layers it really depends on who the person is and um, what the circumstance is. The thing is, is that it's all possible. So I, 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 it's a little bit of a loaded question because it's not that everybody's a little bit different, which I think your experience probably is too. And, and I, I ask it in a loaded way because as, as you know, you know I, I came to you um, to do some, some clearing of some emotional traumas and uh you know I, I always feel like there are people that make it easier there are therapists that can make it easier and therapists that can make it more difficult and as a therapist the thing that made what you were doing so much easier for me was how present you were with my pain and and not trying to fix but rather continually stay present 
non-judgmental about the pain that I was in. And, you know, I'm sitting here, I always, like you, judge the crap out of my traumas and out of my pain, right? I was raped when I was three years old and I still judge myself for that. What was I putting off that would cause me to be in that situation? I'm three, you know, but I still, I, I want to take responsibility. And so I never learned necessarily how to take that responsibility and not be in blame. And there's a lot of people that are in the same kind of positions with the same kind of traumas, rapes, molestations, sexual traumas, as well as physical trauma and emotional being bullied. You know, that was a trauma. And I always judged myself harder than I would judge any. I, I'm so present with my clients, right? And so able to be in their pain because I've experienced that level of pain. But you were able to be present with my pain without the judgment, without the blame, without the what, you know, it was, what are you doing to contribute, but not as a blame factor. So, you know, let's, let's kind of delve deep into that. I would like to say, um, oh, thank you for, the, for noticing all that, because that's, a, that's kind of... Um, it's a it's it's something that we 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 really try and uh uh curry to to really cultivate that i actually have a practice um because i, I you'll probably have some health practitioners on on here um and and this might be helpful for them i actually have a practice that i use that helps me in that space and it's very simple but i actually practice it when it's not simple <laughs> Right. So that I can really do it when it, it with the clients. Um, it's really just being super present. Some of your listeners may know it as equanimity, where you just sit super still and whatever comes into your sensory field, you notice and you just, it just comes in and goes out. You're, you're just taking stock. You're just noticing. That's all. And it's, it's a skill. Here's where it gets hard. I have a I have a hair trainer startle response, you know, just because of my own past trauma. So when I'm in that practice and a, a police siren comes by, right, you know, I, I do this. I'm judging the moment. I'm reacting, right? So the practice is to come back to neutrality and let it pass through. So <clears throat> I used to, I used to, uh, I used to go to sleep with crickets and hoot owls and frogs and stuff, right? And and but I I left that life a few years back, and I and I live in an apartment, and right outside my bedroom window are four heating and cooling systems for the whole building. So when I go to sleep at night, it's like right. That's and when I first got there, I was like, how am I supposed to sleep here? <laughs> and I'm like, Elizabeth, do your practice. This is the perfect time to do your practice. So I, you know, noticed I was being reactive and I came to neutral and I, you know, and so that's my, of course, I don't even notice them anymore. But the idea is to practice with something where you're reactive and bring yourself back to this pause, blank space. And then you can sit opposite somebody absolutely blank. I mean, you're, you're, the thing is, I feel it, but it doesn't stay in. It just, it moves through. It's not mine. We're just helping. We're, we're just in a, I'm just in a position where, where I'm helping you, <clears throat> guiding you, the client to process their own stuff. That's all. Yep. But it's not that that's all because I've been to a lot of therapists and most of them get uncomfortable with my pain because my pain triggers their pain, right? Oh, we have to do the work, Ari. We have to do our own work. I'm in, I don't just do the work, I'm in the work. I do the work. <laughs> so this is, you know, for, for other practitioners and, you know, even if you're a person who has a family member or a friend who is going through stuff, for the, tra the, the trauma, the, the person who holds the trauma, 
saying to them things like, oh, well, you shouldn't be depressed. You've got a great life. Things like, you know, what are you complaining about? Look at what you've got. You're adding to the problem. Oh, yeah. If you're able to sit with them in your uncomfort with their pain, the result that you'll gain from just sitting in that space with them and not trying to fix them and just being, just being present with them is going to offer them so much more resulted result benefit than the possibility of a fix, right? And so you've, you know, we as a, as a population kind of have to get over ourselves and say, you know, this is uncomfortable. Your pain is really uncomfortable for me. But I, I take, you know, I listen to a lot of therapists and they'll say, you got to get rid of toxic people out of your life. And I think nobody is a toxic person. People have maybe suboptimal beliefs or suboptimal results and ways of being, but they are not inherently toxic. The uncomfortability that people feel within their own selves causes them to want to and try to fix other people when, as you said at the very beginning of this, you are a facilitator, not the healer. You just are there facilitating their own healing in themselves. And the idea is you've done enough work on yourself to be comfortable in with somebody else's pain without taking it on yourself. That's the other lesson. You don't have to take on their pain just because you're sitting with them in it. That's, that's true. And I would uh, add a, a, a caveat to that. <clears throat> I'm not judging discomfort as bad. I'm just noticing that it's there because I am, you know, I do feel we're all, you know, where people say, oh, I'm an empath. Well, you know what? Humans are empathic. That's our nature. Some of us are just more awake than others. You know, some of us are just more awake than others. That's all. So <clears throat> that's, I'm just kind of putting that out there. Um, it's just, um, it's just important to, oh, I'm feeling discomfort and that's okay. I'm not, I'm just noticing. And that's very powerful. That's going back to don't judge the moment. That's, that's it right there. So I'm feeling discomfort and it's okay. And I'll go take it right back to a, another, <clears throat> another thing. Nobody said when I was growing up, pain is part of healing. That's not the way I grew up. Every time a child hurt themselves or got sick, the adults rushed in to like, you know, fix the situation as soon as possible, stop the crying, stop the pain, you know, fast as pop. It was just this big emergency around all of it. Uh, if I got a cold, I got in trouble because I had a cold and, and, uh, and I would be put to bed and then the doctor would be called and we would doctor's orders and the doctor was very nice, but it was, there was all this energy around it, you know, this intense, we have to make it stop kind of stuff. Nobody ever just said to me, pain is part of healing. And yet, you know, when we break a bone, it hurts for a while until it's healed. It's part of the healing. So not judging. And I would say, Ari, and you may have noticed this yourself. When a practitioner sits across from a client and the client is healing and they're just present and they're, you know, it's like we're talking about, it's not sticking, they're feeling that it's not sticking and they're just present the practitioner and the client both get healed. It's that kind of space. Yeah, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about, uh, go off subject, off that subject for a second and, and come to your book, The Way Through Chronic Pain. And what are some of the tools that you have put into that book to reclaim your own personal healing power? Well, one is where's the responsibility lie for our healing? You know, so 
so this is the way I, I, I put it. <clears throat> I give 20% of the responsibility for my healing to all the other healthcare practitioners, all healthcare practitioners out there, doctors, nurses, physical therapists, alternative healers, all of them, 20%. The other 8%, me and God, higher power, you know, cosmic energy, source energy, whatever you want to call it. There's something that created all this stuff, whatever you want to name it. I don't really, doesn't matter to me. We've been arguing about it for like thousands of years, what to call this thing, but it's, it's something, you know, me and that thing, 80%. So really important that doctors can set a bone. They can't tell the body how to heal. Something else is at play there mm -hmm. and we need to respect that. So we follow doctor's orders. That's part of the 20%, right? And that's, they give the orders. Then it's part of the 80% of mine is following doctor's orders. And then also following my own inner, inner knowing about it. So I don't know if that answers that, but that's one tool right there. Yeah, that's one of the tools. And <clears throat> the fact that, that I'm not a, um, a religious human being, I, I've studied way too many religions to, um, to ever follow anyone. But uh, I am a very spiritual human, human being. And, and, you know, the world doesn't make sense without some kind of an organizational you know, planner. <laughs> we can call it that. It's an organizational planner that created the organization of the universe. I definitely have, have listened to that advice. And the way that I do some of that, and I'll just go by my tool, and then I'll, we'll, we'll go into some of your other tools, is the way that I do that for me is a lot of mirror work. And by mirror work, I am staring at myself alone in the mirror. And I actually have one that I could pull up and I could lay in bed and look at it too. So I don't have to just be in a bathroom or, you know, a big mirror in some other place. I could be comfortable. But I will get that mirror and I'll look into my eyes until I start falling in love with myself. And through that, I go through all the things that I don't love about myself, right? Whether it's, you know, the colors of my cheeks that always have seemed a little too rosy for me, or, you know, the little tags or moles or wrinkles that I'm starting to develop. I go through, what are all the things that are blocking me from being the one for me? And to me, when I look in my eyes, I can see the universe. You know, this is a tool that I've used a lot over the last year, year and a half, as I've been recovering from a major personal trauma. And it's one of the tools that I've used for years. But that is for me. And I hope that, you know, I tell, I tell my clients, I tell everybody who I see, get in the mirror and do the work because that's the 80%. And then go to somebody, you don't have to do everything alone. But you're never alone when you're with yourself and God and the universe and spirit. And so, you know, it's the scariest thing a person can do, I believe. More scary than being attacked, more scary than going to war is looking in that mirror for the depth of your soul and being okay with who you are. I love that. The story around that, by the way, I love that. It's a very powerful exercise. And I'm really glad you brought it in. So I was given an assignment to look in the mirror. It was part of a, 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 an overall course that I had and he would bring in these love missions. He called them love missions and he would bring in these love missions. And this Tommy Rosen on the Recovery 2.0, his, his coach, uh, coaching, recovery coaching, amazing guy. So he brings in this look in the mirror exercise and I'm like, Tommy, give me another assignment. I'll, I'll do something else, not that one, you know? So I wanted the next one. And the thing is, I, I'm enough of an overachiever to like that kind of a thing would bug me. And I'm very serious about my healing. Looking away as somebody who's trying to heal 
is we do that at our apparel, looking away. That's what we're trying to get over, <laughs> looking away stuff, right? So I'm like, okay, come on, Elizabeth, let's get, let's get to it, you know? And I'm like, what is the problem? You know, I've been sitting like, what's the problem? I don't know. You know, I just don't want to do it. <laughs> I'm like, okay, whatever. I look in the mirror, I pull myself together. I'm like, we're going to do this, you know? And I look in the mirror and I can't hold my own gaze. And I'm like, what is going on here? And here I ask this question, Elizabeth, you're looking at yourself. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> you know? Because I, I was like, I was so sure that the other shoe was going to fall and something was going to happen. I just, I was in that state, you know, I was in like, I'm in so much trouble. I'm, 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 I'm threatened. There's nothing threatening about that. But my nervous system was certain that it was threatened. That was an exercise where I had to retrain the brain, right? We have old patterns running in us that are running our program and we need to retrain. So I did that three minutes, 40 days, every day hold the gaze, see what happens. I don't know how much, you know, how long you did it, but my practice was three minutes every day, 40 days. And it was amazing. And I did learn to love myself. And I got over all my stuff around, I'm not enough, you know, my, the way I look and all this, whatever the thing, it's a thousand things. That whole thing, I'm not enough. That That is a very common expression and experience of humanity. And it's also very old. <laughs> we come by it honestly. Right. That's know? what I'm saying. It's one of the fundamental flaws in the human design <laughs> is this thing that we're not enough. And when we think we are, we must be a narcissist or a sociopath, right? Well, I, I would take it back to the biology here for a minute. And I like to do that. I like to bring it down to like, well, how do we even get this way? when you look at it in terms of evolution, how could, this have, how could this thing have been helpful to us? Remember, we're the way kind of we think it works anyway. We want to survive long enough to be able to pass our genes forward into the next generation. So we were built to survive, not so much to thrive. For us to do this work that we're doing, that's thriving and that's, we're actually evolving our programming. So why would that be helpful for us, that, that I'm not enough? Because it helps keep us safe. We're always looking for the threat. Now that, that may, you know, keep us, the stress us out and stuff, but we're made for that, you know? We're made for the stress. I just think uh, we die young when we're like that. But I always like to take it back to the biology and say, how is this serving from a biological point of view so that I understand my own programming, you know? That's the value of me as a, as a clinician anyway. I'm not really, a, I, can't, I don't have like a, um, a master's in social work or anything, I can't tell myself, but I, but I am, I, I, do, I do this beautiful coaching practitioner work and, and, uh, and, I, and I bring the science in because it's really important that we understand the soft, the psychology is important too, but that hard wiring is important too. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm a science geek. You know, you'll, you'll find me uh, in a corner for 15 hours researching scientific papers because I started with one and I said, oh, I don't understand this part. Let me go look at that. And, yes. Oh, I don't understand this part. Let me go look at that. Oh, I don't understand this. Let me go look at, and then versus gone by. And I don't know where I am or who I am or what I've done. All I know is I'm filled with all this new information that I could then take and put to the side and use for some really awesome podcast conversation. But <laughs> well, it's a, it does take time to integrate all that stuff. But you know what? If you've taken all that time, you'll integrate it into your healing work and it'll be beautiful. People will benefit. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's been... Uh, something I've been really blessed to be able to do is look at a research paper and understand it and go, okay, now how does this apply in life? How does this apply to my clients? How does this apply to, you know, anywhere that I need it to, to apply it to? And just to answer your question, uh, I did as many hours 
at a time as was required. So during, during this last couple of years, car accidents and divorce and different things that I was going through, uh, I, I spent probably a good 100 hours in front of the mirror, sometimes in a row, three, four hours in a row in front of the mirror, screaming, wailing, crying in a ball, uh, fetal position, just, you know, releasing as much as I could possibly release in that moment until the next moment, until the next moment, until the next moment. And uh, at one point I've had, I'm going to preface this. I've had 28 friends in my life that were close friends that have killed themselves. And wow. my first attempt at killing myself, I was nine brother has attempted. I mean, this is an ongoing it's always been in the background of, of my life. And at this point, I was staring in the mirror and I just said, either fucking do it and do it now or shut the hell up. I don't want to hear this talk ever again from you. And I'm looking at myself in the mirror and I basically gave myself a challenge and an ultimatum either do it or shut up about it and get it out of your system. Mm. And I don't recommend that <laughs> for people in that way, but you get the kind of feeling of where I was at with this mirror work mm -hmm. was if you are so weak in yourself and this was, you know, again, I'm somebody who's, I consider myself very strong. I've lived through a lot of trauma, a lot of multitudes of different kinds of traumas. And in my opinion, come out on the better side. But if what you want to do is end every good thing that you've ever done in this world, then be weak and take the easy way out and do it now. Because otherwise, we're going to get into some hard stuff in the next life. <laughs> And we're going to go through all of it now. And that was another realm of three plus hours of screaming and crying before. It was almost an eight hour day, work day <laughs> of, of screaming and crying in the mirror until I was like, okay, I have too much good to offer this world to lose hope in the moment because of a thought or a situation. And that was a real turning point for me in, in my recovery of the, of that trauma. That doesn't mean it's gone. It just means that it is no longer the predominant force that is ruling my life. And so that could be the power of that mirror work. And, and I just wanted to answer you because you asked me, you know, about the hours, <laughs> the amount of time I, I would spend. And it wasn't 40 days straight. It was probably a good year straight. <laughs> and it was, in some cases, extremely intense and powerful and hard. And I, it was nothing I would want anybody to witness necessarily, except for to know that what is possible for them if they're in that place. And, you know, we're in this weird life and world that we are in right now. And I just saw another um, post from a friend of mine that, you know, 16 year old boy committed suicide because of the isolation that we're in. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wish for people to have that way through their chronic pain, both physical and emotional mental, spiritual. And so we'll get back to some more tools that you have. I just wanted to express that to you that uh, some of that was after and some of it was before you and I worked together. So hopefully we were able to get you to a deeper layer, you know, cause a lot of that stuff, uh, if you're not, if it's not yours to carry and we've released then you know, then the rest is 
you know, what you're left with. And, 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 and my experience is, is that we're always working on the current layer. <laughs> you know, it's, the work is there. It's, uh, it, there's, no, there's no there there. It's only here, what's here, which is another tool, by the way. <laughs> That's being present, the here and now? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I would also say, uh, because people uh, sidestep it, the presence is very important, and uh, so is the breath. It's like, uh, they'll say to me, it can't be that simple. And I'm like, yeah, it can. Your, your judgment of it can't be that simple is, <laughs> is blocking, blocking the, the process here. Yes, it can be that simple. It's just that this is not the way we learned. I mean, you know, I was like, for me, it was like, why didn't I learn this in like first grade or pre-kindergarten? You know, why? Why isn't this is so basic, you know, you would think, right? Just conscious breathing, just long, deep. I mean, that's a bunch of different ways you could breathe. And I talk about them in the book, but just long, even inhale, exhale is huge. Most of us are shallow breathers. Uh, and you know this, the, the alveoli, which are the, uh, the parts of the lung that actually are where the gaseous exchange takes place, the oxygen in and the CO2 out. There, uh, most of them are at the base of the lung. So we're shallow breathing into just the upper part of the lung. And we wonder, and so we are, we're getting this, the cells are not getting oxygen. You're getting a buildup of CO2 and other toxins that are coming uh, out of the system into the lung. They're not being exhaled properly. And we get brain fog and we feel ungrounded and we wonder what, what happened. And what happened is we're not breathing correctly. And we, you know, that's why. Yeah. So you just stop and we might even be a little bit anxious and you just stop and long, deep breath, breathing, nice long exhale, and then start that deep breathing. And seven or eight of those long, deep breaths, you're going to be a different person. You know, because you're doing a regular, the, the oxygen, the cells are getting fully oxygenated and, and, and you're releasing all that toxin buildup in the, in the base of the lung. You know, this, you're getting the system to work it. We do work again. We do have a body that needs attention. Yeah. Just up in the mind. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things that I, that I used to tell corporations, I still tell corporations all the time when I, when I would do wellness protocols is, you have to get your people up out of their seat at least two to three times an hour. And the reason why, it, it, like, let's say the, the anatomy, we're sitting bent, right? And so we're pushing our lungs and our diaphragm up into our lungs. So if you take a deep breath, you could take a really deep breath while you're sitting and you'll feel how much oxygen you can pull in. And then if you stand up, and take another deep breath, you'll feel it's almost double the amount of air you can pull in. Mm -hmm. And just as a natural breath, let alone taking a deep breath. And so if you're not getting up, you're gonna get that brain fog that you just mentioned, and you're not going to have the oxygen exchange. And the oxygen exchange is what delivers nutrients to the cells. And so if you're eating food, even healthy food and not breathing, those nutrients are not going to make their ways to the cells. They call lungs in Chinese medicine, the breath of life, because you're breathing in joy, your, you know, exuberant acceleration, you know, it's, all these words have to do with breath and lungs. And so learning to breathe properly, which sounds really funny to, to probably some of the listeners, right? Learning to breathe properly mm -hmm. is a new thing for this side of the world. It's not a new thing for that side of the, you know, the, the Asian cultures. They, they do a lot of things around breath. The Indian cultures, uh, Native American cultures, as well as India, Indian cultures, right? But that is, it's so important. And I really appreciate you bringing that up, that breath is so important and you know, you've heard it, you've heard it, people, you have heard it. Take 10 deep breaths when you're really angry and you know, before you uh, 
before you explode on the person that you're angry with, right? Get road rage, take 10 deep breaths first, and then see how you feel. Yes, and I would encourage, beautifully said, and I would encourage everyone to breathe uh, diaphragmatically rather than paradoxically, which is when you inhale, fill the belly, and when you exhale, <clears throat> push the air with your abdominal muscles versus I used to breathe paradoxically. My abdomen would come in when I breathe and it would go out when I exhaled. So, you know, just make sure that your belly is, you're filling your belly and your diaphragm's being filled, your belly's being filled on the inhale. And then you use those abdominal muscles to help push that air out. That's the way you want to breathe. Take 10 of those and see what happens. Absolutely. Let now, us know. <laughs> it just help your mental state, but that's going to help your organs actually. Cause when you breathe yes. that way, you're literally squeezing those organs, kind of like giving them a massage, Absolutely. which allows them to detoxify and work better as well. So. Right. Yeah. Talking to you. Thank you. Uh, get more tools. Well, I, I, we've just come into movement. Body wants to move. I like any, I, I, you know, any movement is good and uh, walking in nature. So walking is important, like a lot more than we do. Sitting is not optimal. We're not really animals that are evolutionary. We're not made to sit and hard on the psoas. So we need, which is this muscle that, you know, goes from the way up into the, uh, the, t t the spine and then part of the diaphragm down into the leg and it needs to be stretched, right? So we get hunched over because the psoas is, is short and it causes all kinds of health problems that I know you know about that. Oh yeah. So, so movement. So Qigong, Tai Chi, <clears throat> I do yoga. I happen to like, you know, I, I like yoga and I like Kundalini style yoga uh, because it's very good for cutting through our bad behaviors, our unhealthy, not bad, unhealthy behaviors. It's very good at kind of cutting that program and helping us build new ones. It's very fast. But uh, all the postures of Hatha yoga are within Kundalini yoga. Ashtanga, I do a little bit of Ashtanga. Yin, you know, kind of a, a, a nice toolkit of that. Mm -hmm. um, yoga is really just all about, for the listeners, there's 80 different asanas, postures in yoga. The idea is to find a comfortable seat in one of them. Just one. So it's not like we have to do all these postures. We just want to be able to see if we can do one well. It's also very good for clearing trauma. Uh, uh, not, uh, Kundalini, yes, I teach Kundalini, but I teach some other uh, kind of vinyasa type right. yoga. It helps, it helps the body release and it's done very carefully so that we're, we're actually working on parts of the body that we, we know hold stuff and we, we help you we help you stay there just long enough so that it, it actually will release and you'll feel better. It's, it's pretty cool. And we also work on the vagus nerve, a lot of that, the, the, the breathing, the chanting, and uh, some of the postures will work on, will work on the, the vagus nerve to tone it too, which gets completely dysregulated um, when, it's, um, when it's in chronic pain and in trauma. It just, it just doesn't know what to do. Yeah. You know, the, I was talking to, uh, to Dr. Joe Esposito on a, on another episode. And he started talking about the vagus nerve as relates to the blood brain barrier and the nervous system and how it attaches, you know, gut to brain. There's such a thing in the nervous system that if you are able to calm that system and go from the sympathetic to the parasympathetic and partially the breathing that you were just mentioning helps with that process for the vagus nerve. All of a sudden your thoughts become more clear. The traumas don't become obstacles or they're not paralyzing obstacles. They're just a challenge for you to get around and it completely can change your perspective on the world. And, you know, we're going to end this call because we, we've been talking a long time and I could talk to you probably for another two or five hours, but I want people to walk away 
from listening to these conversations that we're having and have actionable things that they can do to shift the perspectives of the world. And right now the perspectives of the world are really defined in extremes, extreme belief on one side or extreme belief on another side. And when I have found that I'm able to calm my system through breath, pain goes away, but also my perceived notion of the obstacles tend to go away and the extremes become less extreme and I'm more balanced in my thinking and I can have nuanced thought. Critical thinking, common sense comes back, right? And we have been mediated, social mediated and mediated into a state of adrenal fatigue where we're being traumatized by what we watch and what we listen to every second that we watch that TV or we go onto that Facebook or we listen to the echo chamber we're in. And so normally I, I, I ask you, and I'm going to ask you as well, but what can you do actionable steps that you can do to shift and change your personal world? And one of them is get off the social media more often and into the garden, into nature, into a place of peace and calm where you can allow yourself the experience of nothingness so that your brain and your adrenal glands can relax. And then you can actually start asking yourself questions that are more about the optimization of your life rather than the reaction to the events going on in your life. So that's my one actionable step that you can take right now. Elizabeth, what kinds of things, I know we've gone over a lot of tools, but if somebody were, were to be listening to this and they're to take away one, two, three things that are actionable steps that they can do immediately that would have the most impact on them, what would those things be? Well, I, I would, you know, again, don't judge the moment, which is in these days is, is, is kind of tricky. It's a practice. And also... <clears throat> The breath cannot be underestimated. You talked about being in extremes. The breath is the bridge to neutral. So we're, we're, we're in this, bi, this bipolar area and we want a triangle. So we're, we have a foundation. We don't have a foundation when we've got this bipolar thing, but when we have a third position, we have stability. The way to get there is to bring in the breath. You just, you just talked about how that works. It gets us to neutral. It takes the vagus nerve, it takes it out of, threat, out of the threat system, it, it helps calm the body. It works mind, body, and soul. So it's profound. And the other thing is, I am very careful about the, 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 what I bring into myself in terms of stimulation during the day. Uh, I'm very careful about social media and, and news and stuff like that. Conscious. It's a conscious determination on my part. And I notice how I feel when I'm, when I'm viewing something. And if it's, and if it's, uh, if it's not good for me, I'm not, I'm not hiding. Like it's, I'm not hiding from the truth. It's not about that. It's, it's just give me the facts, but don't give me a lot of drama around it. I don't need that. You know? So especially nowadays, that's what I would suggest. Go back to Dragnet. Just the facts, ma'am. That's right. Just the facts. <laughs> I don't think they do that anymore. No, the, the police does not do it. Don't do that either. <laughs> the media doesn't do it. As soon as, as, soon as we uh, allowed the news to become a commercial entity versus a nonprofit entity, we stopped experiencing facts and uh and only opinions and it's really a shame because i remember some of the great newsmen of uh of my childhood 
you know, I missed those guys and they're impartial and that, and that's the way it was. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Right. So anyway, thank you so much, Elizabeth. How can people get a hold of you if they'd like to, uh, to find out more about how they can experience some of the amazing blessings that you give? Thank you. They can find me at elizabeth-kip.com. You have to put the spacer in there. Or you can email me at Elizabeth with a Z, Elizabeth at Elizabeth-kip.com. Awesome. And thank you so much for, uh, for inviting me. This is, has been a wonderful conversation and my, a great opportunity. Yeah, my pleasure. Where can they get your book? Well, you can get it at my website if you want an autographed copy or you can get it on Amazon. Okay. I'm just, I'm just making sure that they have ways in which to, uh, to get more of your information. The book is The Way Through Chronic Pain, Tools to Reclaim Your Healing Power. And this has been another episode of Create a New Tomorrow with Elizabeth Kipp and your host, Ari Gronich. And thank you so much for being here. Have a healthy day. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to this podcast. I appreciate all you do to create a new tomorrow for yourself and those around you. If you'd like to take this information further and are interested in joining a community of like-minded people who are all passionate about activating their vision for a better world, go to the website, createanewtomorrow.com and find out how you can be part of making a bigger difference. I have a gift for you just for checking it out and look forward to seeing you take the leap and joining our private paid mastermind community. Until then, see you on the next episode.